Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Hey guys, today we're talking with Andrea, who's based in Perth. Uh, her story entails a loss, a medical a termination for medical reasons, and a current pregnancy. So her story is pretty amazing to listen to. I think there's a lot that can be taken away from her story, um, even if those are things that you may not have experienced yourself. I know that I've taken a lot from our conversation with her. Mm-hmm. It's going to be quite a long episode. I think we might, we're going to be splitting it over two. So this would be part one. Um, and then we'll release the second episode after. So make sure that you listen to them in chronological order. Um, but basically, I totally agree with Tiff. So her story, you might not have common ground there, but she is the sort of person I think that you just talk to and you learn something new Mm -hmm. every time you speak to her so she volunteers and she's actually studying to be a doula um you know through her own experiences and things like that um she's you know she's shifted careers basically which is pretty incredible in itself so we hope that you enjoy listening to today's episode thanks guys Okay, so we might just start off um, by you just giving us a little bit of an introduction into who you are and who's in your family and what you guys do with yourselves. Yeah, cool. Um, So basically in terms of our family, it's my husband, um, Elijah, and myself. We've, of course, got um, two little fur babies who we adore, Um, but that's um, it for our little family. Um, Eli works in civil construction um, and has been crazy busy with work, which is awesome for him, but I never get to see him. Um, And as for me, I, in a past life, uh, was the director of a marketing communications firm. I worked in marketing or some form of marketing and comms for 10 years or so, um, and then made the decision to take a little step back and... Um, yeah, I've been studying, which has been lovely, um, doing some volunteer work with SANS um, and, yeah, trying to get a few other little projects off the ground, but I'm enjoying um, unemployment. <laughs> Can you just tell us a little bit more about what SAMS is for those people who may not, uh, who are listening, who may not know what that is? Yeah, sure. So SANS is a national service. Um, it specialises in um, support for um, pregnancy and um, pregnancy loss, I should say, um, of all forms from miscarriage, determination, medical reasons, um, spread of stillbirth. So they've actually recently partnered with Red Nose, um, who most people would probably um, have some recollection of or, or know of because they used to have quite big... Um, you know, quite a big presence. Um, so they have national phone lines, national text lines, uh, support services, 
And then there's an old education arm. So my particular role with SANS is to go in to hospitals, um, or I'm actually giving a presentation to some doulas soon. Um, anybody who's working with women um, who are pregnant or have experienced pregnancy loss, and um, those those medical professionals come across them. Um, so I go in and give education presentations on. Um, you know, on grief and miscarriage and um, all sorts of topics, everything from helping families to memory make after their child passes to, um, you know, care methods for nurses and doctors, um, already health professionals that, you know, are, are dealing with, with loss. They also suffer too. It's really hard to work for them when, you know, they experience, um, you know, still birth or pregnancy loss. Um, so we got married in 2014. I came off the, um, you know, contraception pretty quickly. Um, soon after, we were pretty keen to start a family, but um, we kind of went down the path of, I'll come off it, see how we go, try but not really try. If it happens, great, um, which I'm sure so many people do. Um, and then a few months in, I sort of started to experience a bit of pain and it was particularly isolated to one sort of, you know, one sort of side, lower abdomen. Um, and I had lost my mum to cancer about 10 or 10 years ago now. So at the time, I, you know, I, you know, basically I know better than to kind of ignore these things. Straight to the doctors. Um, they found quite a large cyst at that point in time and surgery was booked really quickly. Um, and then when they went in, when I went in for surgery, so they removed, it was like a six and a half centimetre cyst on my left ovary. Um, they then found and removed fibroids, polyps, uh, endometriosis. And at the time, even though I wasn't given the diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome, they had said that my ovaries were cystic um, and looked like they had little pimples. So we were basically immediately referred, you know, this all happened within sort of three months of not trying. <laughs> um, and we were basically referred straight to IVF and told that that was our only option. Mm -hmm. um, so from there, we then went down the path of um, seeking a fertility specialist, which we did, but I, I think I felt, and I'm, you know, I guess I'm not sure the experience of other women, but I felt um, a bit overwhelmed, like it was all just happening way too fast and we hadn't even tried anything else. So I was a bit resistant towards IVF, um, just seemed way too invasive. So I convinced my specialist to let me try Clomid for a little while. So we were sent off with a prescription for that for six months and told to come back if nothing happened. Um, and of course, nothing happened other than Clomid making me crazy. Um, so yeah, then we started down the path of um, IVF. We did uh, one round um, and that resulted, I think we ended up with um, something like, we got 12 eggs at egg collection, which we were delighted with, um, 10 fertilized, and then we ended up with four um, frosties. Um, and then basically 
uh, first um, frozen embryo, embryo transfer resulted in an early miscarriage. So I had a little bit of break after that. Um, we had a lot of issues um, getting my lining back um, to proper thickness after, um, you know, after the loss and I probably didn't give my body enough time. Um, so I ended up with two cancelled cycles trying to get my um, lining back up. Uh, then proceeded with the third one, even though my lining wasn't great. Um, we just thought, oh, maybe this is as good as it gets now. Gave that a go, it obviously failed. And then we had two embryos remaining, so we thought we'll just go straight back to back. Um, and I convinced my fertility specialist uh, to let me put both back in on the very rational basis that I didn't want one to be lonely in the freezer. Um, so <laughs> that's really cute. Yeah, we, yeah. Um, so we did that, and again failed. Um, so I was scheduled in for another lap straight away, um, and it had, it had only been, you know, twelve eighteen months, probably closer to twelve months since my previous lap. Um, but again, endo was found and removed, and. Um, you know, everything was flushed out and whatever and looking great. So we had a little, I think I had surgery two days before Christmas. It was like the 23rd of December. So we were told, um, you know, our fertility specialist gave us some very, um, I guess, clinical advice to go and enjoy some wine over the Christmas holiday um, and see what happened, uh, which we did. And then sort of the two, three months break that we had planned sort of ended up stretching out to about six months. Um, and in that time, I was really focused on work and um, you know, trying to lose a bit, a bit of weight and get a bit healthier and things like that. So um, we did that and then I miraculously fell pregnant on my own, um, which was an amazing thing to happen in the first place. Um, fast, I think, given the amount of complications that I had had. Um, but then on top of that, um, you know, there was this kind of elation, you know, that I turned into that, that girl that, you know, everybody's auntie tells them about at, you know, the Christmas barbecue saying, oh, yeah, she tried IVF and then she had a break and she relaxed and she fell pregnant. Um, and I was equally happy to be that girl and also um, terribly sorry for my IVF sisters <laughs> um, having to become that that statistic um, or that story that they hear. Um, the urban legend. The urban legend, yeah, that, that unicorn, that IVF unicorn. Yep. You are, yeah, you are that person. How much time, <laughs> how much time had lapsed between this point and when you you and Elijah started to try for a family? Uh, it was probably, so we lost Teddy in 2018. So at that point in time, it would have been just over two years. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we were a bit stop-start with things. And like I said, you know, we'd done the, the climate and then back, you know, whatever. Um, and I think because, you know, we were 27 starting. And everybody kept on saying to me, you've got so much time on your side, so much time on your side, don't stress about it. Um, and then, you know, here I am at 33, 
and I still don't have a living child, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I really feel for, you know, younger women too. Um, I think sometimes their feelings can be a bit, you know, invalidated or, or their concerns can be invalidated because people feel like, oh, you've got so much time, um, you know. So, yeah, so we fell pregnant with Theo in, I think it was the April, or, yeah, April of... I'm assuming it was the April because my cycles aren't, um, you know, quite on track. But um, April of 2018, um, and everything was going quite well. I did have a couple of leads early on in that pregnancy, and it was discovered that I had a subchronic hematoma. I'm probably not even pronouncing that properly. Um, yeah, we I had think that, that's which right. was just being monitored, and um, everything was fine. Um, and then at a um, NT scan, which was at, I think it was like 13 and five days, so, you know, it was closer to 14 weeks, um, we discovered that Theo had a, an extremely rare congenital condition. Um, so basically, he had 90 degree bend in his spine, some of his organs were outside of his body, he was missing a vessel. Um, in his umbilical cord, uh, and there were just a whole raft of issues. Um, and so we made the decision, um, well, I talk about making a decision, and, um, you know, his, his diagnosis was that he was not compatible with life. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, I kind of feel like we were choosing between death now or death later. Um, so we made the decision to end that pregnancy um, at just on 15 weeks. Um, and so, yeah, so we did that. Uh, Hubby and I went away, had some carotid testing and things like that, even though Theo's um, condition isn't, con- you know, it's not... Um, testable? Genetic. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, it's yeah. Not, yeah, it's not genetic, it's not testable. So even when we had things like the CBS testing... Um, and we had done it, we had already done the NIPT testing, um, harmony testing, all that came back clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, really, yeah, there's there's nothing that can be tested for. Um, but Hubby and I went and had karyotype testing done to rule out, you know, the fact that we were carriers of anything else. Yeah. Um, and then the specialist said to us, well, you've done it on your own, let's give it six months and see if you can do it again if not let's come back um sorry to interrupt you there andre how quickly how quickly did you go back to see your fertility specialist after losing theo um it was actually our our rob and he was aligned at that point in time with um a fertility clinic um so he was the one that had said to us, you know, give it six months. Okay. Um, at that point in time, so it was, um, you know, we talked about a quick succession of things going wrong. Um, so we lost Theo in the August. A week later, we discovered that we were relocating for Harvey's work um, from Brisbane to um, Perth. Um, packed up the house really quickly um, and got a move on and then, 
about three weeks after that discovered that um, the entire contents of our home had been stolen. Yeah. Um, the, re the removal truck had been stolen and so we lost everything. So I think within the space of six weeks, I was, I had, you know, lost a baby, had relocated interstate and then lost my entire home. Yeah. Um, and so it was a really, um, to be honest with you, I don't even remember whole parts of that time because it was just so full on and, and so much was happening. Um, it sounds so really traumatic to be honest. Needs to sort out yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of insurance and um, all of that kind of thing. Um, and then we went back to the fertility specialist in March of this year, um, oh sorry, of last year, 2019, um, and started the process all over again. Um, and the fertility specialist here had picked up that I had a blood clotting disorder, which we never knew about. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, hubby had um, DNA sperm fragmentation of 31%. So he had basically said to us, you know, it's it's 1% chance of, of that happen, you know what I mean? If you falling pregnant naturally, it just would never have happened, and more than likely, Theo was an absolute fluke. Um, Can and he was a fluke in so, in so many ways because his condition was so, yeah, you know, random. I, you know, doesn't doesn't happen. So, um, can you just yeah, explain what DNA, yeah. DNA fragmentation is of um, the sperm again, just for people who may be listening and who don't know what that is and how they test for it and things like that? if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. So um, basically, you know, I think a standardised testing, um, you know, you have these, well, the boys have their, their semen analysis. Um, the DNA sperm fragmentation is something that I think it's, it must be, um, takes about three weeks to come back. It ended up costing about $400, I think, for the testing. And it was something that had never um, we never even knew existed. Um, nobody had ever spoken to us before about having this testing done and yet this new fertility specialist just did it as standard. Um, and so basically what came out of that was, you know, Hubby had a whole bunch of blood tests and everything as you do with your normal screening um, and his testosterone levels came back really low um, and basically said that they were the equivalent of an 80-year-old man. Wow. Um, and so from there, um, that obviously, you know, if you're not producing testosterone at the, you know, the correct levels, um, then, you know, that's that's going to affect your production of good quality sperm. So, um, yeah, basically it comes down to DNA fragmentation, comes down to sperm quality um, and dam it's cell da cellular damage to the, to the sperm. Um, so yeah, he had thirty-one percent. Um, he was put onto pregnal injections, which he took every three days. Um, so it was one injection every three days, and he had to be on that for three months. At the same time, I started metformin um, because this new new fertility specialist had said you've got. Even though I'm like atypical in terms of symptoms, um, he had said it sounds like you've got. Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome and we had tested and discovered that I wasn't ovulating. So I started metformin at that time. 
hubby started his pregnant injections um, every day, every third day for three months he was on those. Um, and then we retested at the end of that time um, and his DNA sperm fragmentation had come down to 17% um, and 14 is the normal sort of range. Mm-hmm. So because we'd gotten such a good result from that, um, the fertility specialist had suggested that we try ovulation induction um, rather than going straight back to IVF. Um, and then because of that, you know, also as well, because he, he had felt that we had, you know, been through quite a lot at the start of that year, um, you know, between the loss of the house and the baby. So he felt that a, a more gentle approach would have been better. I must admit that um, I certainly did um, try and bargain with him <laughs> um, <laughs> and try and, you know, like try and say, okay, you know, he wanted me to do three rounds or whatever and I said, okay, well, I'll compromise and I'll do two with you and then we'll see how we go, you know. So I was trying to barter my whole way, you know, that whole way back through because they think, you know, it's only natural to kind of want to feel like you've got a little bit of control in this process. Yeah. Um, and I just really didn't believe that, you know, we'd already had you know, been through one failed round of IVF, had a miscarriage, you know, we'd had a seriously, seriously ill child, um, you know, and, and that pregnancy loss. And I just felt that, you know, perhaps even though that, um, you know, certainly um, Theo's condition couldn't have been tested for, I felt that perhaps we should have been doing PGS testing or, or PG, um, PGD testing or whatever um, because it would rule out any other complications and, you know, I wouldn't have to experience this again as well. So that was part of my my rationale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was really ter- terrified of, of lightning striking twice, yeah. um, which can and does happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you feel going, and feel free to not answer this if you don't feel comfortable, um, but how did you mm-hmm. feel going in, you know, to fertility treatment um, after the loss of, of Theo? Like, were you, did you and your hubby talk about, like, that you were ready to go back again or was it just sort of getting back up on the horse? Like, how would you sort of describe your state of mind at that time? Um, I think for me... Initially, um, and um, again, women are probably going to hate me, but I had really excellent, um, you know, I had a really excellent pregnancy with Theo, mm-hmm. other than, you know, obviously um, having the, the couple of bleeds. I really loved being pregnant. Um, and so my initial response was, I just want to get pregnant again. I just want to get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And I, I look back on that now and I think utter madness Um, and and I don't think, I don't think I fully understood the ramifications and the the depth of grief I was feeling. I think I was still very much in shock Mm -hmm. over what had happened and so I was initially in a hurry to kind of get back on the bandwagon and, and go down that path. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, sort of the couple of months passed and I think the the reality of, 
of what had happened to Theo, of his diagnosis, um, certain things had happened in that time, you know, along the lines of being sent his, you know, obviously we had to get all of our medical records to be able to start um, with the new fertility clinic and mixed up in that whole jumble. Um, I received his autopsy report, mm. which I didn't even know I wanted to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had certainly at that point never requested. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't have even thought course, about that as an aspect, to be quite honest. It's not even something that I would consider receiving. Like, I didn't even know they sent it to you. Yeah. And... It, you know, it was only kind of when I was going through the paperwork and went, okay, yep, those bloods were done, you know, blah, 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 just looking at what I actually had to send on to the new clinic. And then, you know, when I stumbled across it, I went, yeah, right, okay. And so that really um, probably cemented a lot of things for me in terms of um, it was both a beautiful experience reading his autopsy report um, and, and utterly heartbreaking mm-hmm. at the same time um, because when you have a child that has a, um, you know, a, a terminal um, diagnosis um, and is deemed not compatible with life, when you go through that process and you're going through things like CBS testing or, you know, maybe an amnio or whatever, um, you only ever hear, you know, your doctors and specialists only ever talk to you about the things that were wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever tells you that, you know, he had, you know, all of his fingers and toes and his hand, you know, his hands and arms were beautifully developed. And, you know, for his condition, one of the things that's quite often um, a part of that is a cleft palate. Mm-hmm. Um, a cleft lip um, and Theo didn't have that mm-hmm. um, so there were some really beautiful details that I found out um, from that process but it also um, probably going through that and, and finding out more information and understanding my grief and, and coming out of that shock um, I realised that this just wasn't going to be as simple as just getting pregnant again mm-hmm. um, and I don't think you know, it's it's that thing where you, you're desperately holding hope and you're desperately, you know, want this and I wanted to be pregnant again. And then at the same time, there's just utter fear. It's just utter fear um, that the same thing could happen again. Um, you know, whether that was a, another miscarriage or, or another you know, baby loss or, or whatever. It's it's a really complex mix of emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for explaining, yeah. you know, and going into that. I think that's really um, an important aspect that, like like I said, I didn't even consider. I don't, I don't think women, I think a lot of women, myself included, with fertility treatment, when it doesn't work, you do sort of just want to get back up and give it a go quickly. I think to sometimes to distract yourself from, how you're feeling or you know and like you said sometimes you don't realize the depth of your own emotions because you're trying to just move forward um so thank you for talking about that no worries so where were we before that um we were discussing the 
What was it? Timed intercourse. The timed intercourse. intercourse. The sexy time between you and Elijah. Bit of a change of pace there. So we're up to, yeah, so if you want to pick up where we left off there and and talk to us about that. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, so we started ovulation induction um, with timed intercourse, which um, we all know is super sexy. (laughs) Um, And again, you know, I felt quite good going into that and quite excited, but, um, you know, nothing goes to plan. Uh, the first cycle that we were meant to be going into that and doing that, um, I ended up with a 64-day cycle because, you know, PCOS and, of course, you're wanting to start, you know, start your stems and, and you know, your period just goes missing. So um, we had a much longer wait um, to start that process. Um and then went into that round and clearly my body just something wasn't right or wasn't responding and you know perhaps it is a mix of anxiety and nerves of starting again but um we got to i think it was day 10 of stems and i'd done the whole you know the whole gamut ready for um you know my follicle scan got and done bloods you know that morning and um my estrogen had just plummeted and so they cancelled the round um, so that was our first round and we kind of went, nah, okay, whatever. And in the back of my mind, you know, after I'd done all that bargaining with the fertility specialist, I thought, haha, I told you, I was right, <laughs> you know. Um, and anyway, tripped on, did the second round, that was a fail. Um, and then went to the third round. Um, so I'd agreed to do a third because we cancelled the first. Um, and give it a proper go before moving to IVF. Um, and that round, to be honest with you, was probably, I say this, it was like one of our worst because we were so over the process, you know, that process. Um, you know, I think I felt um, having done IVF, you know, when we got those couple of embryos, it gave me that relief from stims and injections, even though you were doing, you know, things like, Progenova and pessaries and whatever. Where this, it, I was having to do injections every second week, um, and then I, you know, move on to that next round. So by the that third month rolled around, I was really quite exhausted. And funnily enough, I think you know, I, well, with timed intercourse, I think you're told to do it um, like every every day for three days or whatever. Um, and we only did it once because, to be honest <laughs> with you, I'd kind of lost faith. I didn't have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of hope that this would work. And libido um, left in you. And look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we ended up getting, we had three follicles that cycle and usually they cancel after two. Um, when you have more than two follicles, they'll, they'll cancel the cycle. So I got the phone call to say that there was three follicles there and what did we want to do um and of course I was like yeah go for it like whatever um you know what I mean I'm not like let's just give it a go yeah um which we did um and we ended up falling pregnant with twins um one of those twins we lost um at about the seven week mark um but I'm currently 18 weeks with a little baby girl from mm-hmm. that round. That's um, awesome news. It's a big congratulations to you guys on that, I think. Hey. Thank you. Yeah. 
much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Volodka Lushenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.